So initially I wasn't really sure how to start this episode because unfortunately I have to warn you this is probably going to be an episode where we're going to talk about some, I say serious stuff, but it's stuff that everyone has to go through. Um, I wasn't sure how to start this episode, but I just finished God of War Ragnarok a couple hours ago and there's a line that's, I won't spoil it, fantastic game, I'll talk about it more later, but there's a line that someone says to Kratos, again I won't say who, but they tell Kratos that to grieve deeply is to have loved fully. And I'm sorry if you're playing the game and I just kind of robbed you of getting that line for the first time, but it really hit me. And it kind of gave me motivation to talk about what we're going to talk about today because we're dealing with grief in this episode. We lost Batman, you know. We're talking about Kevin Conroy. We're talking about Batman in this episode. So it's, it's hard to talk about these things, first of all, because it's never easy to talk about losing something or losing someone it's never easy to kind of come into you know to get used to that thing to get used to losing people and it's even harder to talk about these things when they are icons like Kevin Conroy people that we personally did not know me personally I've never met him I never met him but the effect that these people have on our lives and the legacy they leave behind it's so huge it's so massive the things that they leave behind them it's worth celebrating so we're going to celebrate Batman today in honor of Kevin Conroy, who, in my opinion, is the one true Batman. My first introduction to him uh, might have been Justice League Unlimited. That was the show as a kid where I first kind of saw the Justice League, first saw most of DC characters, and Batman in particular, obviously, is a real standout in that universe. I mean, everything that Kevin Conroy did as animated Batman was just amazing. His relationship with Wonder Woman was a big deal to me as a kid. I thought they were so good together. And as I got older, and by older I mean around you know eight or nine when I started becoming a tween and a teenager, um, I was introduced to the Arkham games. Our first Arkham game came out in 2009, I think. So I would have been eight years old, actually. And that was really where Kevin Conroy became my Batman. The Batman that I grew up with. The Batman that kind of introduced me to the character and made me love this universe. And, I, and it's hard to say, because it, it might choke me up a little bit, but without Kevin Conroy and, and Batman... In his Batman in particular, I don't know that I ever would have been a fan. I don't know that I'd be actually be talking here on this podcast. I, I would probably be an entirely different person. And that's so weird to think about because it's one of those things where you don't really appreciate the effect these people have on you until they're gone. And the best we can do, I guess, is is remember them. So thank you, Kevin Conroy. Thank you for everything you did as Batman. Um... I, I don't know, he, he talks a lot about how he loved Batman because Batman, he's doing everything he can to make sure that the world is a better place after he's gone, and I think we kind of owe it to Kevin Conroy to make sure that the world is a better place after he's gone, and we have to kind of make sure that we wouldn't disappoint him. So, yeah, oh my god, alright, that kind of got heavy really early on, I hope everyone's still listening and didn't quit. Um, this is I Recommend. My name is Tyler, and like I said, today we're going to be talking about Batman. Batman, 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 the Dark Knight. He's probably the most popular character in comic books, maybe, if not for Spider-Man. We'll talk about Spider-Man eventually, maybe next week, but Batman is, you know, this cultural juggernaut. I mean, all I need to say is Batman. It's Batman. Like, he's Batman. I'm the goddamn Batman. I'm Batman. Like, it's it's just a thing, you know? Everyone knows this guy. So it became hard for me then to kind of write down stories to recommend for him because he's one of those things where I think everyone's read them. Everyone has read a lot of Batman stories. Everyone loves Batman. So what I wanted to do instead 
is I will give you stories that you should read if you don't know a lot about Batman, but I wanted to kind of talk about them as a character arc. I was, I'm going to give you a bunch of stories where Bruce, it's not that, not that they're all connected intricately, but that Bruce noticeably grows as a person and what that means and what his arc really represents, because I think Batman is one of the real true heroes in comics. And what I mean by that is the sacrifices he gives versus the gain he gets and everything he he gives up to be Batman. It's all very inspiring. And so I want to get into that today. So yeah, let's start. We're four minutes in. Yeah, let's start. Let's start. Year one is the first book on my list. Um, we, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably read every book I'm going to recommend, but you know, listen to me talk about them. I'm, hopefully I can give you some new perspectives. Year one is the first book on this list. Frank Miller, David Mazzucchelli. Um, I just realized like an idiot. I said last week I wouldn't do this again, but I forgot to look up the issues. It's a post-crisis, but it is in the Batman run. But if you're reading it, if you're going to buy the trade, just buy year one. It, you know, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> but, you know, we introduce a young Batman. This story is kind of not really even about Bruce. It's more about Jim Gordon and early Gotham. Gotham kind of first being introduced to the Batman and how it's just this shithole of a place, this cesspool of criminality. It's the worst place on earth. It's the worst place in America. And that's saying a lot. It is just a terrible place. And so when Bruce comes back to Gotham after his parents dies, he he vows to protect his city because he he promised to his parents that he would. And it's not... So the thing about year one, first of all, uh, it would be hard to talk about year one without talking about David Mazzucchelli's art. I think David Mazzucchelli is probably one of the most unsung uh, artists in comic book history. His work on this and year one, or year one, this is year one, this and Born Again, Daredevil Born Again especially, are just masterpieces. Today we have Jorge Fornes, who I think works in the same area as David Mazzucchelli, but David Mazzucchelli is one of those artists that I wish he had a million more books under his belt because he was just fucking amazing. I actually don't know if he's still with us or what the last comic he's drawn. I should actually probably look that up. I'm gonna look that up right now, actually. He is still alive. Good. Okay. Thank God. He's uh, 62 years old, so he's still got some years left in him. And it, it's unfortunate, like I said, that he never, at least not yet, has drawn anything massive besides Born Again or Year One. But I would love to see. I, I mean, I might go back and even check if there's books I've missed by him because I love his art. But then we get into Frank Miller, who Frank Miller, you will see his, you will hear his name again later on, is. It's hard to argue that he's not one of the best creators in comic book history. The the depths he added to certain characters like Batman and like Daredevil, are, it's just innumerable. Like he pretty much recreated those characters all by himself. And he he's a bit crazy, we all know that. But I think he kind of has a mastery of, especially noir as a genre, that nobody else except maybe modern day Tom King really has. And I think Tom King also pulls a lot from Frank Miller. So, you know, you could say whatever you want about that. Um, but what I really like about year one, I guess, is that you have a version of Bruce Wayne who is not entirely sure yet what he is doing in Gotham. He's here. He knows he has to protect the city, but he doesn't know how and he doesn't know what to do it through. He doesn't really understand his avatar yet. And it's not until he becomes Batman that he starts to get a bigger picture. He starts to see things more clearly. And I think that's very indicative of Bruce as a character. So at this point in Bruce's arc, he's not exactly fighting for Gotham. He says he is, but more so he's fighting to save himself. 
He's trying to find a place for all of his anger, all of his rage, and he's trying to channel into something better, but he doesn't really recognize that it's destroying him inside. Um, and it's not until later in some of the other stories I'll give you where he starts to come to terms with kind of the darkness that he harbors within. That's part of the reason I love Batman so much is because of what he does with the darkness inside of him. But we'll we'll get through that uh, when I kind of give you the bigger picture of his character arc. So, year one. The next story I have on this list is The Long Halloween. So, Long Halloween is Tim Sale art. Rest in peace, Tim Sale. Another legend that we lost. I think I talked about him again last week, but another legend. And Jeff Loeb. Um, the Long Halloween t- picks up after year one. I think it is year two of Batman. And they. it is basically about the... So year one was about the mob and Bruce Wayne and Batman fighting the mob and Carmine Falcone, Salvatore Moroni, all these figures. Long Halloween is where we transition from the mob era of Gotham to the supervillain era. This is a story where we start to realize that maybe Bruce's effect on Gotham isn't always a positive one. We start to realize that Batman, as a figure, might do a lot of harm to Gotham. And while he is doing good, there's a lot of bad things that he brings with him. And so kind of diving deeper into Gotham City and what it does to people is what the Long Halloween is about. Digging into the characters and what it does to someone that's all good, like Harvey Dent, or someone like Jim Gordon, who's just trying to hold things together. Bruce Wayne, who, for all intents and purposes, is not fully the Batman yet. He is in the costume, and he is doing detective work, and he has um, friends and allies, but he is not yet really coming to his own as Batman, and he's just learning the depths of the corruption in Gotham. He's learning the depths of what exactly the problem with Gotham City is and what he has to do and what he has to sacrifice in order to save it. It's a very good story. It's maybe the best Batman story ever. There's another story later on the list, which, again, I will probably say is the best Batman story ever, so, you know, you can hold that against me because I just called two stories the best. I do that a lot. But um, The Long Halloween is just perfect. It's a perfect book. It is gritty it's another great kind of gangster movie it's it's very much in the vein of uh, the godfather and those movies and i think that was intentional obviously the uh salvatore moroni carmine falcone i think that's how you say it see in the batman movie the new one they say uh carmine falcone and i hate that i i always remembered it as falcone because it's got the e in the end if it was falcone i guess the e at the end still makes sense but then i think it would be falcon i i don't know doesn't matter. I, I have no idea. I mean, it's a made-up fucking name, um, but it's it, it, it digs deeper into those families and and again transitioning from that era, the gangster era, into the supervillain era. So we see Joker, we see Poison Ivy, uh, Catwoman, and we see their relationship start to blossom. Um, I forgot to mention in year one that we meet Catwoman, but in Long Halloween is kind of where Batman and Catwoman, the bat and the cat, as Tom King likes to say, uh, starts to blossom into its own thing. And we get the origin of Two-Face, kind of see what this city did to Harvey Dent, who Batman and and um, Jim Gordon kind of prop up as this being of light, the White Knight of Gotham, which is, again, what they do in the Dark Knight movie. So I think people would complain about that movie a lot as being not accurate to Batman, but that movie is pretty much just the Long Halloween. Uh, so I always thought that was weird. The Long Halloween and Killing Joke, especially. The next story I have written down, uh, for recommendation is Dark Victory, which is actually the story that takes place right after the Long Halloween. It is again Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, and it's uh, year three now. We're in year three of Batman. We get the origin of Robin. And by saying that, you might anticipate going into this book that this book is about Bruce and Dick, but it really isn't. This is again another book about 
Bruce Wayne and the point we leave him in at, at the end of the long Halloween where he's kind of broken. He thought he knew what he had to do to save Gotham and he thought he knew who he could trust, but he's starting to realize that Gotham might corrupt all and that he's fighting a never-ending battle. He's starting to lose the person inside of him. He's starting to lose what makes him Bruce Wayne and he's starting to become consumed by the bat. And I think that's very, very interesting to leave this character, especially when... I, I just realized I never even gave you what The Long Halloween was about. The Long Halloween is about this holiday killer who is killing people on holidays, who isn't the Calendar Man, because we see Calendar Man in the book, but and, and how this affects Gotham. Gotham goes into the state of paranoia. Every holiday is, is ruined by a series of murders, and Batman trying to crack this case, but not, not realizing who it is, and trying to figure out kind of what exactly is going on in Gotham. That's that's what The Long Halloween is about. Uh, Dark Victory picks up after that and has a new serial killer, which I know sounds like a very derivative story, but trust me, it works. And Batman losing his fucking mind in order to try to find out who this is because he failed his friend, Harvey Dent, last time. He couldn't save him, so now he's trying too hard to save everybody. It, it really shows you the depths of, of Batman as a person. It shows you what Bruce has gone through, and it kind of channels his grief in a very real way, where he is Batman, and he's and he now he's established as this character, as this Dark Knight, but he has not really yet come to terms with everything that's happened to him in his life to bring him to this point. He's still kind of pushing it away, and not exactly aware of what the Batman actually is. He thinks it's a conduit for good, but he's not really sure yet. Like I said, we get introduced to Dick Grease and his Robin in the story, and it's it's very nice. It's kind of cute. Bruce and Dick have a very fun relationship where you can see that Batman obviously sees a lot of himself in Dick Grayson, especially, you know, them being both orphans. And Dick isn't really... He, he comes off a lot like a little Bruce Wayne. He's very standoffish at first, but as they get to know each other and they, and they become more, you know, um, father and son-esque, I guess is the way to put it, they, they bring the best out of each other. And I think that's what's so important about Robin, especially Dick Grayson, is that he opens up the doorway leads, uh, he opens up the window in Bruce's life and shines some light finally into that dark, dark soul of his. Um, this is where we move on to Batman Ego. This is written by Darwin Cook, who, oh my God, is another creator, another brilliant creator that we've lost. I, I didn't mean to do this, this episode, talk about loss so deeply. I know I said, prefaced earlier, that this was going to be an episode about grief, but I guess I didn't really understand how deeply this was going to get. But Ego is a fantastic Batman story, and it's about Bruce Wayne coming to terms and finally kind of cracking the code of what Batman is and should be, not just for himself, but for the people of Gotham and what exactly he needs to do to be better. Because that's what the story is about, uh, ultimately, is about being better and moving on, moving forward, understanding exactly who you are and what you've lost, uh, but also kind of recognizing what you've gained because of your loss, and I think that's what's so beautiful about Batman as a character, is this story in particular tells us that the darkness that we have inside, everyone has negative emotions and, and, and things that they feel might turn them off from other people, everyone has secrets and things they hide, um, but what Batman teaches us is that those negative emotions are things we can channel and do good. We can channel the pain we have, the grief we have, the loss we've been through, and we can all take that and force it just force it to make us better. It doesn't have to destroy us, and I think that's what Bruce learns in this story, is that while Batman is this kind of creature of the night to many of the criminals of Gotham, he's also a symbol of hope. And I think that's why I like the new movies so much, is because they finally fucking 
say that. They finally address it. They finally address that Batman, as much as he is this stealthy ninja character who stays in the shadows, he is a symbol of hope to Gotham. Gotham is such a dark place that they need Batman. And that's what he finally realizes in Ego, that they need him just as much as he needs Batman. The the city of Gotham fucking needs him. They were crying out for a hero, and he answered the call. He just hadn't realized it yet. Um, and I, I think that's just kind of a beautiful character arc. We we close the first years of Batman with Ego, and I think that's it's very poignant. I, I, I mentioned earlier that it was written by Darwin Cook. It's also drawn by Darwin Cook, who his art, he, he's one of those creators who his art is just as compelling as his writing and made him just a superstar. He's another guy that I, I, I miss I miss daily because of the contributions he made to comic books. Ego, uh, The New Frontier, everything Darwin Cook ever did was a masterpiece. And he's someone that I hope is not forgotten to the sands of time. Ego, if you haven't read it yet, is a fucking brilliant story. So next, we're going to make a long jump. We're going to take a jump way into the future and we're going to talk about The Dark Knight Returns. The reason I'm taking such a long jump into the future from Ego is because while we find them, we kind of completed Bruce's character arc learning exactly who Batman is, I think it would be fun to then follow that up with the story of an old Batman who has forgotten everything that made him special. Dark Knight Returns, written by Frank Miller and drawn by Frank Miller, who is a better artist, or a better writer than he is an artist, let me say. Not that the art is bad, uh, Dark Knight Returns is probably the best drawn book he ever drew. It's certainly better than Dark Knight Strikes Back. It's certainly better than 300, in my opinion, or, or Sin City. I don't really like the look of those books. Sin City kind of gets away with it because of the coloring. It's so noirish. It's it's a great aesthetic more than it is a great, like, uh, a properly great drawn book, if that makes any sense. But The Dark Knight Returns is an actually great, uh, it's it's great art. He's, 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 he's very good at the top of his game. He, and it was 1986, so DC was at the top of their game because they'd also released Watchmen in this year. I don't know what was in the what was in the Kool Aid in, in DC in 1986, but they were on the top of the world. Dark Knight Returns. I think Batman is 55 uh, when this story begins, and he has retired. He's no longer Batman. I think in universe they explain it as Jason Todd has has been killed by the Joker, and now Batman is retired, which is ironic because this is before the death in the family where Jason Todd actually died in canon. I think it's funny that they established this as the future Batman's uh, reason for quitting, but not. But when it actually happens to our main Batman, he continues going. I think that's interesting. Um, the reason I put this story here, like I said, it's fun to explore a, an older Batman and kind of explore everything that made him special, but he's forgotten it. He's forgotten what it's like. And this story, while I think today people might look back at it as a bit hokey or it's very very politically active and and in ways that I kind of feel frustrating I'm I'm one for politics and comics but not when they kind of make someone like Superman look like a lapdog for Ronald Reagan of all people of all presidents especially um but it's still a great story beyond that it, it, it is just kind of there's some weird things you have to get over number one being Batman his <laughs> so Zack Snyder loves this book and that's clear from batman v superman but one of the things i think that is very misinterpreted about this book is the idea that batman kills in it because he absolutely does not he does use a gun one time but then later breaks another gun over his knee and says that they're the weapon of the enemy our batman in this story might be a little bit of a hypocrite but makes him more of a real person if you ask me the reason i like this story so much now is because 
I think you gain a new appreciation of some of the themes every time you read it. I think it's one of those books that begs to be reread when you kind of enter a new stage in your life. The When I first read it, I was probably 14 or 15, and so I, I liked the images. I liked the picture of an old Batman, an old grizzled Batman. I especially liked the Batman-Superman fight. But I don't know that I really understood some of the deeper themes and, and character things that were going on in Bruce's head until I reread it again, and then rereading it even later than that, I sort of got a, a bigger picture of what exactly Frank Miller is trying to say here. We set up early that Batman, and when I say Batman, I do mean Bruce, because we kind of set them up as two separate characters here. He's struggling with finding a good death. He's trying to find what he would deem appropriate a good death for himself. He's Batman. He's been Batman for so long that he's forgotten what it's like to live as Bruce Wayne, to live as a normal person. And he's also kind of pushing away the instinct inside of him to be Batman. There's this person in his mind fighting to get out. There's this hero inside of him that is fighting to be seen. But Bruce is bro so broken by this point that he refuses to do anything, to do anything to save Gotham. And it's, it's, it's interesting because... I think this might have been the first time that we ever really saw a hero like that. Saw a hero who, in 1986, Batman wasn't exactly the character we know him as today. And this story had a lot to do with the reason we view him like we do today. But Batman was still established as this hero who would do anything for his city. And so when we have this story where he's broken down and refusing to help, it's, it's very interesting to see him in that position and, and wonder why he's there in the first place. I think nowadays we ask that question a lot of our characters, but I think it came back to this story in the first place. This and Watchmen, like I said, same year, a lot of questions from these stories are kind of commonplace. Uh, a lot of questions that were created in these stories are kind of commonplace for comic books today and comic book characters today. So like I said, we kind of traverse Bruce as he puts on the Batman suit one time or one last time and figures out how to get a proper death. We meet Carrie Kelly, who is a fantastic Robin. She's a teenage girl who really wants to help. She's sort of if you want to think of it like this she's a somewhat of a prototype tim drake in the sense that she's just a kid who really looks up to the batman and wants to help then you have the mutant gang who is the weirdest group of antagonists i've ever seen in a comic book but i also kind of love them because they are so weird they wear the stupidest shit but they're fun and i like them um then you also have superman superman like i said lapdog for the u.s government lapdog for ronald reagan who uh this is my own podcast, I'm going to say. Not a great president, probably rotting in hell right now, um, but it is 1986, we're in the middle of the Cold War, so I understand Superman wanting to chip in for his country, but the way that he's written, he's much more fascist than I think most people would really agree Superman is, including myself, obviously, but that was how Frank Miller viewed him, and I do think Frank Miller has a lot of respect for Superman. It's just this story, I mean, it's not a Superman story. It's a Batman story. Batman's obviously the hero, and Superman kind of turns out to be the villain by the end. It has that brilliant fight. I mean, it's not as... It is one of those things that I think is remembered as better than it actually is, but it is a great fight when you read it. It's just not as bombastic as it has really been said to be. You know, the Batman-Superman fight in The Dark Knight Returns. Oh, my God. People look at it like it's this massive, massive-scale fight, like it's one of the biggest things in comic book history. It kind of is... But it's not really the kind of fight that I think deserves the legacy that it has. I think it might have just introduced people to the idea of Batman versus Superman, which then, of course, has blown up to the fact we have a movie about it and a movie about that particular fight in that book. Weird. But, you know, I digress. It is cool to see Batman and Superman fight. Um, but going back to kind of how this fits into Bruce's arc 
we have a Batman who, like I say, is broken. Like I said, isn't doing anything to help and has to realize what it exactly means to be Batman again. By the end of the story, he's realizing that there are no good deaths. There are only good lives. And he asks his parents if if the life he's living is a good one. By the end of the story, he realizes that it has to be good enough. And I like that. I like that he doesn't put his foot down and say he's living a perfect life. And he doesn't put his foot down and say he's living a terrible life. He realizes the life he lives is good enough for him to continue doing what he's doing. It's good enough to live. And I think that's what Bruce realizes. And I think that's a proper lesson is that like, it is good enough to live on its own. There are bad things can happen to people and you have to deal with these horrible things that happen in life. But life is still so precious as it is that it's worth it to just live at the end of the day. Um, it's also nice to just see Batman inspire people. There's another story where Batman really becomes a hero, a absolute like set in stone hero for the people of Gotham. They were, like I said, crying for a hero. And Batman answered the call once again. And it's very inspiring. There's an image of Batman on a horse leading the people of Gotham through an EMP. It's beautiful. It's a great story. If you have read it, reread it again. If you haven't read it, read it for the first time. It's worth it, I, I promise you. Now that I've talked about the arc that Bruce has gone on, like I said, I wanted to kind of give you a bunch of stories that I feel uh, sh they bring Batman on, on one particular character arc. So by the end of The Dark Knight Returns, he's entirely different than he is at the beginning of year one. But kind of follow a lot of the similar themes. Now I want to just give you Batman stories that you should just read because they're fucking good stories. First one I have here is Batman the Cult. It's four issues. I think it's Jim Starlin and Bernie Wrightson, maybe? Ah, uh, I should look this up, too. Yeah, Bernie Wrightson. So it's four issues, 50 pages each, so 200 pages, and it is a very, very dark Batman story. It's, I think, year... If we're going to give it a year, I, I don't necessarily like doing this beyond, like, dark, Hall dark Halloween, long Halloween or dark victory, but it's probably around year seven or so of Batman. So he's established, he's a vet, and he's got Jason Todd as Robin, and it is Batman being broken for the first time. The first time that anyone ever broke Batman's spirit, that's what the story is about. We introduce the villain Deacon Blackfire, who I think is very underrated after reading the story. I don't know of any other time he's ever come back, and I don't really know about any other stories he's been in, but Batman the Cult for Deacon Blackfire makes him a villain that's like on the level of the Joker, if you ask me. He's fantastic in that book. Next, we have Court of Owls, issues 1 through 6, but really it should be issues 1 through 12 of the new 52 Batman run. Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, I mean, what can be said that hasn't been said about the Dark, uh, uh, the Dark Knight Returns, about Court of Owls? It's one of the greatest Batman stories of all time. It challenges everything Batman knows about Gotham, and it's, it's beautiful. Again, it is a great story. It, it's more action-packed and psychological than most of the other Batman stories I've put on here, but for good reason. And it's and it doesn't sacrifice any of the character moments, which is what I think Scott Snyder kind of exceeds at, is giving you spectacle, for the most part he succeeds at this, I'll say, is giving you spectacle, but also not sacrificing the character moments in between. And Greg Capullo's art, what can be said, it's amazing. He is one of the best in the game. He's one of the best of all time. His Batman art inspired a whole new generation of Batman readers. The Killing Joke. Ooh, The Killing Joke. Oh, I love The Killing Joke. Man, is it controversial these days, but God, I love The Killing Joke. Uh, Alan Moore, Brian Boland. Is it? Yeah, it's Brian Boland, and it's a masterpiece. 64 pages in, in total, but it is the best Joker story ever written. It is hard to talk about because we have the elephant in the room of what happens to Barbara Gordon. Barbara Gordon is, for all intents and purposes, fridged in this story, which... Is, is hard, again, to talk about because you have to acknowledge that 
Barbara Gordon was a character in her own right. She was a character who, she was Batgirl. She was an inspiration to a lot of young girls around the world. And for the sake of his story, Alan Moore just crippled her for no apparent reason. I mean, the, the reason in the story, he's trying to break Gordon. But for all intents and purposes, it, it, it was kind of out of the blue. It, it changed his character. And people weren't, I don't, I don't think, prepared for that at the time. Nowadays, we look back at it and we realize that we got Oracle out of it, which was the um, was an amazing choice by DC to not go back on this, but to rather than further Barbara as a character because of her new cripple, uh, cripple, cripple, what a uh, handicap. That's the word I'm looking for. Her new that doesn't even make any sense. But because of her new handicap, making her a stronger character uh, out of it, and I, I think that's very that's very good. That's very. Um, it's very noble of DC to do that, to give you a handicapped character because there are so little of them in comics and especially to take a character who wasn't handicapped and then make them handicapped and make them just as capable, if not more capable, while they're in the wheelchair. It is, it's beautiful. It really is. And I, and I have to imagine that it inspired a lot of people around the world, a lot of people with disabilities who looked up to Oracle. And I think that's very important. Um... Beyond that controversy, I think that Alan Moore really had amazing grip on what the Joker was and what the Joker represents to Batman, more than just being this character. The Joker is an idea. The Joker is so much. The Joker in this story is trying to break... Take a shot every time I say the Joker. But he's trying to break Jim Gordon because he has a point to prove. He's trying to prove that no matter how good of a person you are, all it takes is one bad day for even the best of men to become him, to become crazy. And... It has a very interesting parallels between him and the and, uh, between Batman and the Joker because we build them as both two sides of the same coin. And the joke at the end of the book, which I won't say because it'll probably take too long, and you should read it on your own, really draws some similar uh, interesting parallels to who Batman is and what Joker are, how they've been through similar traumas and how they reacted the opposite ways to them. Um, I, that's all I have written down, but I know there are more Batman stories you should read. You should read. Um, I really, this is one story, it's underrated, I'll start with this. It's called The Mud Pack. It's in Detective Comics. It might be around issue 600, maybe, 600-ish. It is written by Alan Grant with art by Norm Brayfogle, another legend we've lost. Norm Brayfogle, who is the person I think of when I, when, I visual, when I visualize Batman in my head, I see a Norm Brayfogle panel. So that should tell you everything that you need to be told about Norm Brayfogle as an artist. And with Alan Grant, they were at the top of their game. I mean, Detective Comics, late 80s, early 90s, was just a gem of amazing Batman stories. So I could tell you Hush, I could tell you Nightfall, or I could tell you the Grant Morrison run. I could tell you 10 more books that I, I for some reason, can't name. I can tell you the Tom King run. I can tell you all those books. But I'm going to tell you is to watch Batman the Animated Series. And I'll give you a couple episodes I think you should watch. Again, in memory of Kevin Conroy, because his Batman really re rewrote the book as far as Batman goes. Watch Mask of the Phantasm. That is the movie. That's it, People will say this a lot, and I think there's fair argument to it, is one of the best comic book movies ever. Certainly one of the best animated comic book movies ever, and one of the best Batman movies, period. It is interesting for what it does to Batman, because it kind of answers it asks this question that I again I'm bringing up Tom King again asks in his run where what if you make Batman happy what if you give him an exit what if you give him an out something he can have beyond Batman and and how does that affect him and then what happens if you rip that away from him the truth is is that Bruce will then just devolve into Batman the Batman will become all he is because he feels that Bruce Wayne is dead but it's a very interesting character study of who Batman is 
and it, it's worth watching if you haven't seen it before. It's not very long, but it is amazing. Then you also have Heart of Ice, which is probably the most iconic episode from anything Batman animated related. It is uh, Mr. Freeze, and it is the retelling of Mr. Freeze's origin. I think that Tim, uh, Tim, 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 what is his name? Bruce Tim and Paul Dini really had a grasp on the Batman mythos that no one had before them, where they were able to not only modernize, but kind of recreate some of these characters in ways that you would have never thought of prior. And since those episodes, we can only think of uh, those characters as. You have ba- um, you have the Feats of Clay episode, which is Clayface. It's not Basil Carlo, like I nearly just said. It's Matt Hagen. But it gives us the visual of the, the character we've come to associate as Clayface, because he didn't always look like that. And it also gave us the origin. The thing is, is that Matt Hagen has the origin in the, in the story in the show, but in the comic books, they give that origin story to Basil Carlo because originally Basil Carlo in the comics was the character that Matt Hagen is in the animated series. It's kind of weird, it's kind of backwards, but but it's incredible and it's really worth watching. Like I said, I mean, all of these it, there's so many episodes worth picking, but those are the the episodes I would give you to watch above all. You have Two Face. Uh, I forget they're called, but there's Two Face episodes. I think it is a two parter with Harvey, and those are amazing. Just any number of Batman the Animated Series episodes. There's the Grey Ghost one, the Clock Clock King one, not Cock King, Clock King one. Um, there's just too many good episodes. There's the Arkham games. I mean, again, Kevin Conroy, everything he ever did with Batman was incredible. Injustice is another great version of his Batman. Everything he did as Batman was amazing. He defined that character, his voice at least, and, and he's the character, or he's the actor that I hear when I read Batman in the comic books. We're done. We're done with Batman now. Um, if I was going to give final words about Batman, I want to say that he's another character, like I mentioned about Superman last week, who I think is very important to my life. He's a character that teaches us that, like I said earlier, the bad things, that, the things that we may view bad about us, the the things that we may view as standoffish or the negative emotions we have that we may view as wrong like our anger our rage our mourn our mourning and our grief you can take those and you can turn those into power you can take everything bad that's ever happened to you and you can use it to inspire inspire hope and i think that the fact that batman of all characters can teach us that just shows us that no matter how dark we are we're never lost and there's always light at the end of the tunnel i think batman is the ultimate hero in that sense where he's just a regular man who's trying to do his best to save everyone because he couldn't save his parents. And I don't know. I I mean, that's all I have to say about Batman. Well, that's not all I have to say about Batman, but if I did say everything I had to say about Batman, we'd be here for six hours. What I want to move on to next is uh, another recommendation. So last week I talked to you about a TV show called American Vandal, which, again, I hope you watched. If you have, message, message me and tell me what you thought because I hope you liked it. But this week we have a video game. God of War Ragnarok. I talked about it last week. It is the sequel to 2018's God of War, which is a requel to the original God of War trilogy. Love that word. And I finished it today. came out last week, last Wednesday, so a week ago from today. And I think that it might be one of the best games I've ever played. And I went into this game anticipating that, but I wasn't exactly sure that it was going to hit me as high as my expectations were for it. But it hit the nail on the head, and it really stuck the landing in in ways that I wasn't anticipating it to. 
Um, I thought that going into this game that I knew where it was heading, that I knew what kind of ending we were getting. I was I was anticipating it. I was ready for kind of everything I was going to throw at me, but I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. And my God, am I happy I was wrong about it because it is just a phenomenal game. I never thought that a game like God of War could affect me so deeply in the way it does, but there are certain lines that come out near the end and the certain themes that are finally fully explored and come to their natural conclusions that I never imagined a game like this could really make me think about. And I don't want to spoil much, but all I'll say is that there's another line similar to the one I started the podcast with where someone tells Kratos that love or grief is the natural consequence of love, and yet it's a choice we make anyway. And I'm going to leave you with that. It's a great line, and it kind of tells you everything that you need to know about what this game is about and, and what it's trying to tell you about people. Because at the end of the day, while this story is about a big, uh, pale, white, red-tattooed guy from ancient Sparta who killed all the gods, trying to protect his son from killing all the gods again, uh, in the Norse gods this time... It is really a deep character story about what it means to be a father. In a weird way, it's very relatable. Not that I'm a father, but it's very relatable human emotions in this story that I never anticipated we'd see of Kratos of all characters. Kratos of Sparta, who, when I first met Kratos, would have been God of War 3, was nothing more than a killing machine. And the way they've taken that character and made him something... I, I, I want to say special, but beyond special. They've taken this character and they've made him a fully fleshed out person in ways that, again, I never thought they could or would is is something to be commended. And I think the people over at Sony Santa Monica should be very proud of everything they do because they are they are trailblazers. Like the things they're doing with these games are are incredible. And I hope that whatever they make next, I know that whatever they'll make next will just be of the highest of quality. I'm not sure if it'll be another God of War. I'm not sure what it'll be at all. But whatever it is, I'll be there day one and I'll play it. Um, I, Last week I talked about wrestling. This week was just a regular Monday Night Raw. I don't really have anything to say about it. I think uh, Rhea Ripley... So the War Games match coming up at Survivor Series seems pretty interesting. Uh, the, the the women one... I don't really know about the, men, the men's uh, match yet because I think they haven't established everyone who's going to be in. I think we know most of the women who are going to be in the in their War Games match. But other than that, I don't really know what more there is to talk about WWE-wise. It's interesting that they're scrapping the 24-7 championship. That's a very uh, obvious thing that Vince McMahon was really big into that Triple H isn't. And I also think that the way that Triple H is taking Austin Theory is very interesting. I don't know if people stick around or stuck around last time for the wrestling section of this because I know that most people aren't here for that. But, I mean, it's an outlet. I might as well talk about it here. But, like I said, I don't know if I have much to say this week, at least. I'm very excited for War Games uh, Survivor Series, though. I think that's this weekend. Uh, so, if it is, I'll talk about it next week. Or, might be next weekend, actually. Yeah, no, I think it's next weekend. So, I'll talk about it in in two weeks, then. Um, I think this was longer than the first one. Uh... I don't have anything else to say. My name is Tyler. I love you guys. If you want to, you can follow me at Comic Boy. If you aren't already following me, that is. Uh, Five-star rating. I love you guys. Give me reviews. Give me comments. I got very nice uh, DMs about this podcast last week, and I really appreciated those because I wasn't really sure people were going to um, kind of understand what this podcast was here for at all. Like, it seems a bit weird to just talk about, like, here's what I recommend for these characters because everyone's already read them already. 
But I got a lot of really nice recommend or recommendations. That's what I do. I got a really a lot of really nice messages. You know, the interesting thing, or I'm going to get candid for a second. The interesting thing about hearing myself talk on this podcast is that I realize I ramble so much more than I like ever realized before. I think it's because my mind is often just racing like 24 hours or 24 hours. See, this is what I mean. Like, I just kind of say shit. What I mean is that my mind is racing like 24-7 and I don't really know how to slow down. So that's why I kind of talk so fast. But I realize it's been 40 minutes of me talking and I'm like, where the fuck did all the time go? Um, if you're still listening... And the fact that you've listened to me for 40 minutes, and if you listen to the last one, you've listened to me for over an hour, just me talking about random shit. I really do love you because I appreciate it. Um, I wrote on my story today that all the love I get from kind of messages and DMs, everything I get, I'm starting to write a comic book. And I think that wouldn't have been possible if people didn't tell me that they liked hearing me so much. So thank you for everything nice you say. I hope that I don't sound like an asshole or a crazy person when I speak because sometimes I think I come off like that. Sometimes I think like I'm just talking so much, no one's going to have any idea what I'm saying and I'm flubbing all my words. But I, I, I've I, come to realize that I guess some of you guys appreciate that or you like that because it just feels natural. I don't know. Like I said already, I love you guys. If you like the podcast, leave a five-star review. If you like the podcast, message me and give me a review. I don't know. Just I like feedback. Um, this has been Tyler. And this has been I Recommend. Thanks for listening.